Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's half a decade since Britain voted to leave the European Union, over a year since we did, two months since we signed that deal. But now, in this post-Brexit era, who do we think we are? Two years later, nine out of ten of us had an identity as a Remainer or a Lever that we probably didn't have three weeks before the vote. Some of us want to be something else altogether. In 2019, the number of Britons receiving German citizenship jumped 2,300% compared to 2015. Half the people I know suddenly seem to be Irish or French. But do the Europeans want us anymore? I mean, at the end, everybody was fed up. And so if they would just to leave, right, then if they don't want it, let's let them go. We'll be hearing from voices in Britain and across the continent. I've always felt British. I've never felt European this border or barrier has gone up between us and the rest of the EU. Goodbye, Parisian fashion houses. And I could see us if we got sucked in any further to the European Union, that we would become a satellite of Germany. I love the concept of Europe. I love having no borders. I don't understand why people wanted to change that. It feels like moving backwards. I certainly feel a lot more British than I did in 2016, purely for the fact that we're now a completely independent country. Um, we've left the EU. In some ways, that's a, a very exciting thing. I'm feeling slightly sort of embarrassed to be British, actually. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Britain 2021. Who are we? I'm Sunder Katwala. I'm the director of British Future, which is a non-partisan think tank which thinks about identity. Back in the early noughties, I used to work with Sunder at The Observer, but he packed in journalism and he's been at British Future for nine years now. They've been doing research on identity, integration, immigration and race. And for Sunder, it's always been more than just a job. Identity has always mattered to me as a person. I decided what my identity was growing up as a Irish Catholic, Indian, Irish, English, British person, so Everton supporter in the northwest of England. I had to work through how having Irish and Indian parents made me, you know, especially British rather than less British. If you'd taken your mother's surname, what would you have been called? 
Curtain, Sunder Curtain. I've got P- Paddy Patrick is my confirmation name. So Paddy Catwala would have been an option. Uh, how about Paddy Curtain? Do you think life would have been different if you'd been a Paddy Curtain? I think I'd have had a similar kind of life. I mean, I was aware I had an Indian heritage. Everybody who saw me as a sort of four-foot Asian kid would have known that. But it was the Catholic Church and its Irish element that was sort of drummed into me. I was an altar boy. I was doing Irish dancing. So the balance of the two identities was somewhat more Irish than Indian, although people might have guessed it was the other way around. I only wish that I'd known when I knew you at The Observer that you knew how to do Irish dancing, Sunder. Yeah, it's not, not. my sisters are better at it than I am, but they, they're always quite nice to the boys, I think. They want to keep the boys involved on a Saturday afternoon. As part of British Future, you've done a lot of research over the years, um, and so most of what you uh, talk about is actually research based on what people's attitudes actually are. So let's start this one really broadly. And is it possible to even define what we mean when we say British? There are some big foundations there, I think, that makes it easier to talk about a civic, inclusive British identity than it might be in France or Germany or Belgium or other countries. One is that British, I think, has been plural since we started to talk about it. It's a multinational civic identity of a multinational state where people would understand why being Indian Irish might give you a claim on being equally British. I think British is a shared civic identity of the British state and it relates to the institutions we share, the National Health Service, the Parliament, Remembrance and those traditions. It's slightly different, I think, to the national identity of being English, Scottish or Welsh or from another minority national group. Well, that was my next question, really, which is, is it easier to get a response, a clear response, when you ask people about being English, Scottish, Welsh or Northern Irish than if you ask about being British? I think that's changed over time. I think the Scottish and the Welsh were quite aware that these were different identities. And I think the English were relatively unaware of that until the late 1990s, where I think the English tended to think that being English and British were the same and the Scottish would be annoyed by that. The difference between British and English identity, I think, is quite clear if you look at migration. My dad was born under the empire in 1944. He's become British as a citizen of Indian heritage. He doesn't think that he's become English at any point there. But it's not surprising to him that his children would identify as English. He actually didn't think I should support the Indian cricket team. He thought it was quite natural that he would be India and I would be England. Okay. Now, this episode is about British identity in the Brexit era, post-Brexit, really. So let's go back to before 2016, before the referendum was announced. What was the average Briton, as far as we know, thinking about in terms of themselves and their Europeanness? I would say the average Briton did not think of their European identity very much or at all. I mean, the survey data asked this across decades, and given a full choice of identities and pick as many as you want, we tended to have one in six people, 15%, saying European is one of my identities. And we tended to have 4% of people saying, and it's the one that really matters to me. So the the question of whether to join the European Economic Community or what became the European Union was rarely, I think, for the British about your European identity. It felt a much more transactional discussion, I think, in Britain about this single market, this European club, than it did probably to the Irish or to the Germans and the French or to the Poles when they thought, what do we think about this European project and our role in it? 
Sunder says Britain's transactional view of the European relationship can be traced back to just after World War II. It was always about what Europe could do for us rather than what we all shared. Britain had the idea, I think, in 1945, that it was at the top table and that it could therefore be pro-European integration without being part of it and was disappointed, I think, by the next 10 or 20 years by how things went and how well Germany had done compared to Britain. And so there was a feeling that we'd made a mistake and that we had to join their club and that we couldn't afford not to join their club. But the driving reasons that club had been created by Europeans, essentially as a post-war peace project to end the dangers of the wars that had torn Europe apart, there's always been a difference between the identity project of the European Union and the British idea of why you have joined it primarily thinking it was about trade. Okay. Now, let's take us to the referendum campaign and beyond. Now, what, as far as you could tell, did that create within people in terms of their national identity going either way? On the whole, I think the European identity debate became live in people's minds and much more polarising the day they heard the result than it did in the six months beforehand. My name's Nick. I am 31 years old and I live in sunny Norfolk, or snowy Norfolk as it is. In the Brexit referendum, I voted to leave the EU, although I suppose I would describe myself as a reluctant leaver, as um, I can see there was lots of really good reasons to remain, as well as, in my opinion, lots of good reasons to leave. Most people were quite confused by a very complicated choice that the Prime Minister had given to them and were trying to weigh up these questions of immigration. Is it good for us? Is there too much? What about the economics? Um, And were quite on the fence and weren't thinking about it crucially as an identity issue. And then when you'd made your choice and cast your vote, and about four out of ten people say they decided in the last four weeks of that campaign which way to jump in the end, You acquired an identity. And the way we talked about the Remainers and the Leavers for the next week, the next month, the next three years, meant that two years later, nine out of ten of us had an identity as a Remainer or a Leaver that we probably didn't have three weeks before the vote. Hi, my name's Manina. I'm 64 and I have my own business. I live in London. I voted wholeheartedly against against leaving the European Union. My thoughts on this, my feelings on this have definitely not changed. In fact, I think I've become even more anti-Brexit, especially since it is affecting the small business that I run. We're finding it very hard to get our imported scarves from Italy. They keep getting stuck because of paperwork and it's very, very detrimental to us and to so many other small businesses. Brexit spurred me on and I decided to apply for my German passport, which I got a year ago. I'm hugely happy to have a European passport. I obviously have kept my British passport, but I'm feeling slightly sort of embarrassed to be British, actually. Did that identity which we got as Remainers or Leavers have any impact on whether we said we were British or European or indeed English, Welsh, Scottish or Northern Irish? A a tiny bit, but not as much as you think, because as I say, about um, 15% of people had thought they were 
European. And so probably that's a third of the people who voted Remain. And two thirds of the people who voted Remain thought, I can't see the point of leaving this. It seems to do some good things and I don't need to leave it for my identity. Um, The sense of being European, I think, rises among the group that lost because you realise what you've lost if you were on that side. My name's Jackie and I live in a beautiful place called Stirling, which is in the central belt of Scotland. I voted to remain in the Brexit referendum and that was because I identify first and foremost, always have as Scottish, but being part of Europe has always felt like being part of this colourful extended family, almost like being accepted into a group of friends that are so much more exotic and worldly than you are and never ever ever identified as British. I don't like to think of myself as being British, it has such negative connotations for me. Since Brexit feels almost as if I've been cut off from the possibilities of being, I think I aspired to be European, if that makes sense. Let's dig into uh, a little bit into how this has broken down in different groups. Since you are of uh, Indian stroke Irish background, you may be in a good position to answer this. For minority groups in the UK, did this play out differently? It did play out rather differently in different ways. You should never underestimate the lack of interest, I think, among black and Asian Britons in this raging debate about the European Union that other people in the Daily Telegraph and in the Guardian and the Observer and the Times were having all of the time. And the sense that neither side of that debate were very interested in them. Um, Black and Asian Britons, I think, in many ways are natural Eurosceptics with a high level of British identity, almost no European identity at all pro-immigration but sceptical that freedom of movement of Europeans is the right policy for immigration. And they ended up voting two to one for Remain while voting in much lower numbers. Sanders says that though plenty of BAME voters inclined to be Eurosceptic, they were put off by the fact that people like Nigel Farage were so prominent in the Leave camp, people they saw as xenophobic and not looking out for their interests. But neither did they associate with the sense of peril of the Remain campaign about why our identity would be absolutely at stake if we left the European Union, because that side, which is very pro-cosmopolitan, but I think overwhelmingly white, had never really engaged minority Britain at all. And so I think a lot of black and Asian voters were saying, what is this about? And were interested, for example, to find out whether the Labour Party was in favour or against it. Hi, my name is Precious. I'm 27 and I live in Kent. I voted Remain in the EU referendum. I don't feel any more or less British than I did before. I've always said I was British and I've never met anyone who was British who classified themselves as European. For me, this Brexit referendum has only meant downside. There's been absolutely no upside as far as what I can see. Um, I don't even know what the deal we've made is. I just know shopping is now way more expensive. 
another substantial divide, which really is a big divide, and that's the generational divide, because there were very different sets of polls about Remain Leave amongst age groups. Did that reflect at all on different notions of identity between older and younger age groups? I think it did. I think this is a big cleavage in our society now, and it's come through in party politics since 2016. The older group has adjusted to the diversity of Britain. The younger group grew up with that as normal in the classroom. So just the level of familiarity of a plural British identity that includes um, the Commonwealth migrants, but now the European migrants as well, is much more familiar to young people, and so they would feel a personal stake in that. I'm uh, Gordon Roberts. I'm 84 years old, and uh, I've been retired for quite a long time. I live in Cleethorpes, which is in North East Links, which is a very popular seaside town. I voted to leave Europe. I lived through the wartime, and uh, Germany couldn't beat us by force but she was beating us by the pen, i.e. the pen is mightier than the sword. And I could see us, if we got sucked in any further to the European Union, that we would become a satellite of Germany in the not-too-distant future. Since the referendum, my opinion has no way changed. In fact, it's become more... Exit Brexit than it is to remain. Uh, you've only got to see what's happened since we came out of Europe, how diabolical the European Union is treating us. Have you seen any significant changes in the period since we've actually left the EU and, indeed, as we led up to the discussion about the terms of trade with Europe and and since then? Yes, there have been significant differences. And I suppose this polarisation of two quarters of society in 2016 dragged us all into it. And so by 2019, you had no choice but to choose your tribe and to be in your tribe. So there's a real intensification of it um, when we didn't leave and again intensified around deal or no deal day just before Christmas. It's quite early to say, but I think we're probably seeing a slow deflating of those tribes. I think the rest of us are now going back to what is um, another set of debates about identity. It might be about history and race. It might be about social class. It might be about geography and fairness. But I think I think the European debate will struggle to keep us in these camps. My name is Tula. I am 27. I live in East London. In the referendum, I voted to remain. The one thing that I have found quite interesting being in Europe post-Brexit is that when you tell people that you're from the UK, it's become kind of a joke. There's a sense that you're from somewhere that's less desirable as it was before. Do you think that at its core we could describe Britain as a European nation or is it still and for many more years um, a nation, a country that happens to be on the edge of Europe? It is a European country that has very little European identity. If you actually look at the values that people have, do they want the death penalty? What do they think about guns? What levels of tax do they want to play for? What level of public services? We are very North European, North West European 
country with similar values to people just across the channel. If you ask who we identify with, we identify with the other countries that speak English. We identify with Australia and the United States of America. Those are the films we watch. That is the television we watch. We have some Danish subtitled television that's excellent. But but on the whole, we identify and imagine ourselves in an English-speaking world. So we are, I think, both and. We are a country in and of Europe, but we do not seem to have a strong European identity. In a moment, we'll hear the view from Europe. But just a reminder, to enjoy remarkable and important stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My name is Tanja Börzel. I am a professor for political science and European integration at the Otto Suhr Institute of Political Science, Freie Universität Berlin. So I'm living and working in Berlin and I love it. I love it too. Why can't I come and visit you? It's horrible. Yeah, well, maybe once this pandemic is over, I hope we get to travel and visit each other again. But for the time being, it seems <sighs> we're locked down. I want supper and a cocktail at the Cat's Orange after having a Berliner Weiss by the side of the spray. It's not fair. But anyway, there we go. Tanya, I asked Sonda Katwala from British Future earlier today the same question uh, about Britishness. And I want to ask about being European. Do you think that there is a core identity within Europe? I think there is a core identity. Many relate a shared identity to something like a shared history or a shared culture, language, religion. But what I think makes Europe special is based on so-called civic values, values we share rather than certain cultural features. And these values are profoundly liberal. And if you use that kind of understanding, I think Britain is profoundly European, irrespective of Brexit. Oh, so that's interesting. So do you think that a European person, I mean, 
obviously generalizing is difficult but a european person if generally asked what europeanness was would say something which amounted to what you've just said that's not an easy question to answer but just imagine when you travel outside europe when you go say to china or to russia or even to the us those are the kind of moments when you feel more european and then you start thinking what makes you feel slightly different I've been teaching PhD students from all over Russia for a while, and I always also brought some European PhD students with me. And when it came down to even students from Britain or from more other more Eurosceptic countries, they would they would always tell me how they immediately realized how European they were. And when I asked them what what they felt so European about, it was really like it was democracy, it was you know freedom, political freedom, and that's only when you start realizing when you're actually uh, in a context where these kind of liberties are not uh, self-evident. Hello, I am Marouane. I am 29. I am born and raised in France. On my mother's side, I am a second-generation Moroccan immigrant. I have been living in London for five years. I have a settled status in the UK, an EU passport, and I am single. I was an Anglophile. I moved here for the culture, for the humour... But I feel like only with Brexit did I really get a grasp of what the UK was and stood for. I do not feel less welcomed in the UK, but I don't, I don't think I will ever be made to feel like I totally belong. But I live in London, which helps. I used to feel very European. Like five years ago, I cancelled a date after learning the guy I had voted leave. No, I wouldn't feel that strongly about it. Uh, and that's not just because I'm getting older. I used to feel very European whenever I experienced a cultural shock outside Europe, but I'm getting less of that now. No, I feel maybe more Anglo-French with a hint of Moroccan because I can make a very mean couscous. Now, let's look at how Europeans view Britain. What would you say about how Britain has historically been viewed by Europeans in terms of its identity? Britain has always been a very reluctant European. I mean, there is, of course, this famous speech by Winston Churchill, in, I think it was 49, right, in Zurich, when he said Britain is with Europe, but not part of Europe. Britain has always made quite a point that it's sort of a more distant approach to Europe. But for many Europeans, I think Britain is seen as part of Europe for one reason. And this is precisely what I said before. Britain shares our liberal values. And particularly as a German, you know, Britain fought in the Second World War. Britain defended these values and helped Germany get rid of a regime that profoundly violated these values. The European Union or community at the time was built to overcome these illiberal tendencies. At the same time, there is this scepticism and, you know, Britain's, the Brits, oh, I should say the English, I think some Europeans really make a difference. And with Brexit, this has become even more visible, right? There are the English, there are the Scots and there are the Northern Irish and the Welsh to some extent. And uh, so the English have been always profoundly Eurosceptic. They're the least Europeanized in, in Europe. And so it's not so surprising that a majority decided to leave. Do you think that the experience of Brexit has affected Europeans' sense of what the EU or the European Union is and their own relationship to it? 
I think it has because, you know, Brexit has been framed as an instance of right wing populism. And then put in a similar category as, uh, you know, Trumpism or Orban or, you know, this kind of illiberalism on the rise kind of thing, this uh, return to nationalism. And that has made us aware of what Europe is about. It's about defending the liberal project. I think Europeans have become aware of what is at stake and that, you know, with the single market, there are certain values that underpin the idea of free movement, of people, not only goods, capital and services. Let's take this down to almost to an individual level. If you had a young French person, a young German, a young Swede, thinking about where they wanted to travel or maybe wanted to settle, do you think this experience has made them more or less likely or not changed in any way at all the likelihood that they'd want to come to Britain? I have friends from Eastern Europe and also from Southern Europe that used to live or still, some of them still live in Britain. They feel very uneasy. They no longer feel welcome. This Brexit debate has fueled a certain nationalist, xenophobic feelings, right? It has fed on it. I'm German and I moved to the UK 23 years ago in 1998. The UK was part of the EU then, and I don't think I would have moved here if it hadn't been. I still definitely feel more German and European, and I don't really feel British. I'm not British. I don't have a British passport um, because I never needed one. Brexit has definitely made me seriously consider moving back to Germany. I don't really feel welcome here. I love the concept of Europe. I love having no borders or having have had no borders. I don't understand why people wanted to change that. It feels like moving backwards. Brexit has caused a big rift in my family. My husband is British and my husband's father voted for Brexit. And um, it comes up in all our conversations. I was just wondering whether, because I picked up just a little bit of this from some of the papers on the continent and commentators, just a little bit, and it, and it had was quite big during part of the pandemic of, well, actually, you never were fantastic to deal with in Europe anyway, and frankly, we'll be quite happy without you. Now, of course, the you know the person who is jilted in a relationship quite often says something like that. But do you never think, nevertheless, that's true? I think it has changed, and particularly Boris Johnson very much contributed to this. I mean, at the end, everybody was fed up, and said, so if they would just to leave, right? Then if they don't want it, let's let them go. At the beginning of this whole Brexit negotiations, I think a lot of people felt honestly sorry about Britain leaving. The British population has always been Eurosceptic, but Britain has been an exemplary member of the European Union in so many respects. We have tremendously benefited from British diplomacy. We have tremendously benefited from your military capability. And we have tremendously benefited from your highly qualified staff in Brussels and elsewhere. Believe it or not, together with Denmark, Britain is the country that has the least violated European law. 
So we will miss Britain dearly. Um, we haven't quite realized how much we will miss you as a very constructive member state, despite all the opt-outs and despite every time when it was about deepening and widening European integration, giving more power to the European Union. Every time a British government had to justify to the British people, why on earth would you give more power and more money to Brussels, things became bumpy. But, you know, on the day-to-day -day business, Britain has been a tremendously constructive member of the European Union. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Director of British Future, Sander Katwala, and Professor of Political Science at the Freie Universität Berlin, Tanja Bertzel. Our thanks, too, to all the Brits and Europeans who shared their thoughts about identity with us for this episode. The producers were Chris Hemmings and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, maybe an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, Bake Off winner, TV chef and author Nadia Hussein reveals the violent racial abuse she suffered as a British Bangladeshi in 1980s Luton, her struggles with mental health and how baking has changed her life. Racism and that kind of unconscious bias exists in every industry. And so now that I'm in them, I see the problem with them is that there is nobody else. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Nadia Hussein, in her own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.